Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. A military perspective, we have a quote from General MacArthur. He says, A truce just says you don't shoot for a while. But peace comes when the truth is known, the issue is settled, and the parties embrace each other. So we're not calling for a truce. We're not calling for a ceasefire. We are calling for true peace. Peacemakers don't just try to stop the conflict. They're doing something far more meaningful, something that is healing, something that is restoring. They're trying to bring about reconciliation Bring about the restored relationship, even if it means going through the conflict. So my hope today is that we will see peace as more valuable than conflict. Peace as preferable to anger. Peace as preferable to hate. Peace instead of vengeance. And we are not seeking to be peacemakers for its own sake. We are to be peacemakers because we are children of God. And God is the ultimate peacemaker. Thus, as Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who are peacemakers will be called children of God on the last day because it is evidence of God's salvation in their life. So today I want us to look at three points. Number one, peace with God. Number two, peace with others. And number three, peace in persecution. So first, peace with God. As we've already seen in the Sermon on the Mount, we have been brought forth to be humbled before our Maker, been humbled before our King Jesus. We are to be poor in spirit, totally dependent on Him, knowing that we are spiritually bankrupt. We are to mourn over our sin, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and He is the only one who can provide that hunger and thirst. And we are also to be merciful with a clean and pure heart. Without these things, you cannot be a peacemaker. To be sure, it is good and holy, as one commentator says, it is, it is good and holy to have harmony with those who are close to you. And it is even good to have peace with those who may be your, are your enemies. However, it is far better than one's flesh, soul, and spirit have peace with God. So we are to be peacemakers because our God is the ultimate peacemaker. From the Old Testament, we see this in Judges 6, 24. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. The reason Gideon calls the Lord is peace because he encountered his mere angel, his messenger, and he was frightened. He was unholy to even be in that much of God's glory through his messenger. But God is a God of peace and allows Gideon to get a glimpse of his glory. We will see how we are even brought into a fuller peace with God. We get to be brought into his very throne room, and one day we'll get to see him face to face because He has brought us in to peace. And He does this through His Son, through His Son's death on the cross. And this had to happen because we, as humanity, we have sinned. Individually and collectively, we have sinned. And our sin must be atoned for. 
it must be provided justice. So in the Old Testament, they made this possible through repeated sacrificial offerings. And one of these offerings was actually called the peace offering. And as we saw last week, though, these offerings in the Old Testament were not completely able to cleanse the sin. They had to repeat them over and over again, and it never gave them a pure and clean heart. That's why we need the new covenant. That's why we need Jesus to die as the ultimate peace offering. And Jesus is this ultimate peace offering. We see he is the promised prince of peace, as Isaiah 9, 6 has been read this morning. We also see this peace promised in Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So through Jesus' death, we are brought into peace with God. Because justice was served, Jesus took on himself the punishment we deserved and brought us the Hebrew word shalom, peace. It can mean to be well, complete, safe and sound, the state of being which lacks nothing and has no fear of being troubled in its quietude. It is blessed security. Nothing better can be desired for oneself or for others. That is the peace we are talking about. And God gives us this peace with himself, not by merely overlooking our sin or sweeping our court case under the rug, but he deals with it righteously. And our sin will be accounted for in one of two ways. One, we will have punishment on our sin. The one who sins will receive the just penalty for their sin. Or two, Jesus can take the punishment for the one who sinned. These are the only two ways. There are no other way around it. And this second option, that Jesus takes your sin, uh, you can get peace with God by having faith and trust in Jesus. As Romans 5.1 tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is only by faith through Jesus' death and resurrection that we can have peace with God. You can't negotiate a deal. You can't get a plea bargain to get right with God. You can't do enough good things. The only way to be at peace with God is through His Son. It's through faith in Him. Turning from your sin, turning to a total dependence on Jesus. This is the only way that you can be made right with the Creator, with the just and perfect God. Paul goes on to say in Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Paul is pointing out how we were enemies of God. There is no neutral ground. You are either a friend or an enemy. Jesus brought the ultimate peace offering, and through Him, through faith in Him, our relationship with God can be made right, can be restored. And we are brought in, we are adopted sons and daughters of the King, 
And since we have experienced this radical transformation from enemy to child of the king, let us share this gospel, this peace offering to others. And it's called the gospel of peace because it is the good news of how people can be at peace with their God and creator. While people can strive to live at peace with those around them, and, and you may be, have tons of friends and everyone may like you, if you are not at peace with your creator, all is lost. If you are not at peace, one day you will stand before the judge as an enemy, awaiting the righteous verdict. The seriousness of this claim is why we must share this with others, why we must be ambassadors and proclaimers of the gospel, of the good news of peace. We see this in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have never have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's very clear. Paul is saying this salvation is for everyone, but for them to be brought into this salvation, they must first hear about it. And for them to hear about it, they have to have someone tell them about it. It's very simple. It's not rocket science or that complicated. We are to bring the offering of peace to people. And ultimately, we see this is the, in, in the importance of sending out missionaries to all over the world. But this is also applicable to us every day of our lives with our friends and family. How can we be peacemakers? How can we share this gospel of peace with others and whom we come into contact with? And this is the way of true blessedness. And this is, he calls them beautiful. And Isaiah 52, 7 connects this idea of the gospel and peace together. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald, the preacher, the person who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. God does reign. His kingdom is here. He is the king of the universe, and he's invited us to be peacemakers on his behalf. And he has invited us to be at peace with him. Therefore, we should pray. We should seek boldness. Pray for God to give us the words to say. Pray that we would be ready in season and out of season. We must be dependent on the Lord and ready because, as one commentator notes, peace with God implies war with Satan. This is why Paul speaks of putting on the armor of God in Ephesians 6.15. He encourages us to put on our shoes ready for the spiritual battle. Our shoes are the readiness for the gospel of peace. As followers of Christ, we do not fight like the world fights, but we put on our shoes to go to battle, being prepared to share the gospel of peace. So we've seen how we can have peace with God ourselves and how we can share this good news with others. Let us look at how we can also be peacemakers with others. Point number two, 
peace with others. And in my preparation, peacemaking has often uh, been associated with violence at times. Two examples. In 1872, the Colt Single Action Army revolver was released and later was marketed to the civilians as the peacemaker. For many believed that with this peacemaker in hand, people would be less likely to start a fight, thus promoting peace. That is not the kind of peace we're talking about. The second example is from 1966 in which a DC comic book hero named the Peacemaker, who was described on the front cover as a man who loves peace so much that he's willing to fight for it. Again, not the way we are to get to peace, not by fighting for it. Now look back in Matthew 5, 9, when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's not talking about the revolver, he's not talking about the comic book hero, he is talking about those who go out into the world filled with the Holy Spirit to bring shalom, true, lasting peace, reconciling enemies. While the peacemaker revolver may have at times deterred violence, even with all its power, the revolver did not have the power to turn enemies into friends. To bring true peace that unites people together depends on the Spirit of God working through us and uniting us together in love for one another. In love for one another. That is true peace. And as one preacher has said, the peacemaker, the one who is a peacemaker, will walk into a church service and he will go and shake the hand of the so-called enemy, even though they are a brother and sister in Christ, they will shake his hand and will look him in the eye and tell them good morning. Not as a facade, not as a phony expression, but because he really wishes this, this fellow believer, this man or woman in Christ, a good morning. He wants them to have the love of Christ. That's what kind of peace we are talking about. And at the root of sin and suffering in the world, this, this sin and suffering, much of it is caused by a lack of peace with God. And if people do not have peace with God, this overflows to not having peace with others. Let us no longer contribute to the problems of the world, but join with God, who is a God of peace, and be part of the solution, the ones who bring peace into the world. As one commentator writes, there is no more godlike work to be done in this world than peacemaking. The need for a peacemaker assumes the reality that there is a lack of peace in the world. It assumes that there is a need for peace because we need to go and make peace. We can see this in almost every area of life. When governments do not have peace between them, this leads to war, death, destruction on massive scales, which we have seen throughout history and even up to the present day. When people in the workplace do not have peace, this can lead to a miserable work environment, the job not being done well or efficiently. When people at church do not have peace, this can lead to their witness to the world being tarnished, fighting and unloving comments made between those who are supposed to encourage and lift up one another. When people who are friends 
do not have peace. The relationship is strained. Trust is diminished, and they can no longer confide in one another. When families do not have peace, arguments abound. Yelling and screaming ensues. Hearts are broken, and families are separated. There is a real need for peace. A person who seeks peace settles arguments, brings conflicts to a resolution, brings enemies, turns enemies into friends, brings tranquility and harmony. The peacemaker also brings order to disorder. Those who make the world a safer place to live. Those who bring a sense of security, calmness, quiet. Does that describe you? Does that describe your house? Is it a place of peace? One commentator puts it this way, the ministry of peacemaking involves putting an end to conflict by refusing to postpone an apology, refusing to seek revenge, humbly serving one's enemies, and having a love for others. For peace really is at the core of obeying God's commands. We see James 3.16 speak of peace this way. James 3.16 For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I'm pretty sure James was there and listened to the Sermon on the Mount. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you want to live a righteous life, if you want to obey and how to serve one another, it starts with being a peacemaker. Righteousness cannot be produced in a climate of bitterness and self-seeking, one commentator writes. Righteousness will grow only in a climate of peace. And Paul connects this as well, our peace with God and having peace with one another. Since we have peace with God, we should have peace with one another. In Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus you were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. No matter Jew or Gentile, no matter one's race or where they have come from, Jesus and Paul is calling us to be of one body. We are one body in Christ. There should be no hostility amongst us. We should be a people of peace. We are to seek peace with one another in the church, no matter the differences between us. Christ's blood covers everyone in the church the same. 
recognizing that God's grace on you is the same as the grace on someone else should eliminate any feelings of superiority or even inferiority towards someone else. For we are all sinners saved by grace. And we are all a part of His kingdom, sons and daughters of the King. If we are to see each other as God sees us, that will be the first step towards peacemaking. A pastor once overheard two people talking about their spiritual gifts, and one of the persons jokingly said, I think I have the spiritual gift of criticism. And the other said, well, if you have that gift of criticism, I think you should go and bury it. No one wants to see the gift of criticism. The gift of criticism and the ability to make an argument over anything is not a gift, but a curse. We are to put off this gift. We are to put on our new self, the new gift of the Holy Spirit. We are to make peace with people. Making peace with people means not putting the other person down. It means, not, it means being slow to criticize and quick to encourage, being quick to listen and slow to speak. Who in your life is it really difficult for you to be a peacemaker to? I'm sure someone just popped into your head. Oftentimes it is difficult for me personally to be a person of peace with the people that I claim to love the most. I claim to love my wife and kids the most in this world, and it's often those who see my lack of peace. It is often those who catch me on a bad day. But if I was honest, it's not just a bad day or a bad moment. It's, it's rooted in my heart. It's rooted in something selfish. I want things the way I want them to be done. But that's not the way of the peacemaker. And this being a peacemaker doesn't mean that we just brush aside issues. It means that we come to the issue and address it properly with a spirit of peace. To go into the issue and go into the relationship not to tear the other person down and prove them wrong, but to go into the, the situation to restore and bring them back to us that we can have a good relationship. Instead, we should uh, actually address these issues. It is not loving or kind to just push them aside and not deal with them. But it may be time, at times, depending on the situation, for someone to overlook an offense. Sometimes uh, it would be wise to overlook an offense. It's not saying that they didn't do anything wrong, but if you can have the grace and mercy and forgive them, maybe they were just having a bad moment, we can overlook an offense. Our foundation of God as our peace, trusting in Him, will enable us to be peacemakers with everyone. That's really difficult to do. And Paul seems to notice this in Romans 12, 18, that it may be impossible for us, but he says this in Romans 12, 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So he, he's recognizing that there are things in your life that you are out of your control, but there are a lot of things in your life that you can control. And with those things, you are to live peaceably with all, everyone. 
even that person you thought of where it's difficult to be a peacemaker. So that's where you should be peacemakers to everyone. And again, peace is more than just the absence of conflict. You can't say, oh, I have peace with this person and I have never talked to him in the past 10 years. <laughs> that's not peace. Peace is blessing. It's completeness. It's harmony. For Jesus will go on to elaborate in Matthew 5, 44, not that we just have an absence of conflict, but in Matthew 5, 44, he says that we should actually love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, which is, leads us right into our third point, peace in the midst of persecution. For we see in Matthew 5, 10, those who follow God's commands will be persecuted and they are actually considered blessed, Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That is, those who act obediently to God's laws, those who are righteous. And it says, they can be blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Following God's commands and even being a peacemaker does not ensure that others will treat you well or treat you with peace. So don't get your expectations out of line. Nevertheless, Jesus says that we are blessed. We will have true inner joy if we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Thus, as one commentator notes, not all persecuted people are blessed, but only for those who are persecuted for manifesting Christ-like character, that is, those persecuted for righteousness. And furthermore, people may suffer for doing evil, but such suffering is not persecution. Their suffering is punishment for their evil. And notice in verse 11, Jesus says, you are blessed when they insult you. It doesn't say if they insult you or if they persecute you. It is assumed, it is logical, that, and it makes sense. Jesus is saying when you are persecuted, when they insult you, and when they say every kind of evil against you, and notice it is because of him, because of Jesus. That is why they are speaking against them. Now, persecution will vary depending on the person and where they live and the time period they live in but it is inevitable in some way. For we already saw how John the Baptist earlier in Matthew was persecuted for preaching the truth. And this persecution will continue on to Jesus' other disciples, even to his disciples today. The point is that we should be ready to face persecution and not abandon the truth by disobeying God's commands so that we can avoid persecution. But we are to stay faithful and obedient in the midst of persecution. But a question arises, why would other people persecute someone for living righteously? Why would someone persecute someone for living according to God's laws? There's a couple different options for why someone would act in this evil manner, but perhaps their righteousness is viewed as an indictment against their own sinful lifestyle. It's kind of like if you remember back in school where the smart kid would make a really good grade and every, the whole class would be mad at that kid. 
And it's like, why are you mad at him? He, he made a good grade. It was like, well, it kind of points out that I probably should have studied more, and it points out that I didn't make a good grade, and it was seemingly possible that I could have. And so they, they are jealous. They feel like they were resentful towards this person. Or perhaps when people invite you to join in their sinful lifestyle, when they invite you to that party, when they invite you to that activity, and you know that you should not go there or do that sinful uh, activity, that sinful lifestyle, and you don't join in, they might take that as a personal attack and think that you think that you're better than them. They see you maybe as a mirror of their own sinfulness. That seems to be what 1 Peter 4.4 seems to be describing. 1 Peter 4.4 says, They're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild, wild living, and they slander you. So they're surprised that you don't join with them, and so they want to get you back. They want to slander you. They want to persecute the righteous. When in fact, they don't realize or they are blinded by their sin that Christians don't seek to follow God's laws because we are trying to be better than other people. We don't follow God's laws to try to make other people feel guilty. But we are trying to follow God's laws. We are trying to be peacemakers because He has saved us, because we are His children, and we want to live this blessed life. We trust in His ways. That is why we choose to obey. This should also be a wake-up call for anyone here today that if you're trying to obey God to make others look bad, that's not obeying God at all. We shouldn't be putting on appearances of holiness to make ourselves look better, to make other people feel guilty. But we should follow God's laws from a pure heart, obeying His commands out of love for the Father. Not only will we be persecuted for how we live, but we will be persecuted for what we believe. For verse 11 says that they will falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me, because of Jesus. Because you believe in Jesus as God, Savior, and King, many will see this as offensive because it excludes the worship of anything else. We live in a world that has long been opposed to the worship of only one true God. Many would rather believe and live according to their own truth, in which the truth is subjective and everyone is right in their own eyes. As a peacemaker, we should advocate for people to be allowed to have the freedom to believe and worship how they please. But being a peacemaker does not mean we do not share the truth about God with others. Like mentioned earlier, how many people will, how will people know, how will people be saved unless someone tells them the truth of the gospel, the gospel of peace? And not only are they blessed, Jesus goes on to say in verse 12 to actually, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We see an example of this rejoicing and this response to persecution in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. 
And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That is the name of Jesus. So when persecuted for righteousness, or when we are persecuted for following Jesus, we should not respond in anger. We should not respond in retaliation or self-pity, but we should respond with joy. Additionally, let us not respond to persecution or any other difficulties in life with anxiety. It would be a, a common and understandable to be anxious in the face of persecution. But Philippians 4, 6 calls us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the opposite of anxiety here is the peace of God. And so not only does God reconcile us to himself in making our relationship one of peace, we are no longer, no longer enemies, but children of God. He also gives us peace from our anxiety when we trust in him. That's what Philippians 4 is talking about. This peace surpasses all understanding because it goes beyond what we can comprehend. As one commentator notes, God's peace totally transcends our merely human way of perceiving the world. Peace comes because prayer is an expression of trust. And God's people do not need to have it all figured out in order to trust Him. This is how we can have peace even in the midst of persecution. This is how we can have joy in the midst of persecution. For we know God is on our side. We know that we have peace with Him. And we can totally trust Him. And that is how we can have the peace which surpasses all understanding because in the midst of persecution, we don't know what's going on. We don't know why this is happening, but we do know God loves us and he wants the best for us. Furthermore, we can have joy in the midst of persecution because we trust in the promise of God. God has promised us eternal life. He has promised us great rewards. That's, that is his motivation for us in verse 12. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. As one commentator points out, Jesus did not specify the nature of this reward. However, because of the divine reversals that appear in the Beatitudes, we have the poor will reign, the mourners will be comforted, the hungry will be filled. So he argues one expects the reward to involve the reversal of the persecutions. So human insult will be replaced by divine commendation. You may have human insult, but when in heaven, God is commending you. You have here on earth, human rejection and harassment will be replaced by divine acceptance and favor. Earthly punishment will be replaced by eternal 
bliss. The heavenly reward will be so great that the earthly suffering will pale by comparison. We have to remember this perspective. And it may be easy now as you're sitting here on a comfortable Sunday morning, but as soon as you walk out the doors, you will face trials and sufferings and maybe even persecution in some ways. We have to remember this mindset. We have to remember this perspective that we are looking forward to a greater reward. And remember, we are not in this alone. Your fellow Christians, past, present, and future, will experience persecutions as well. Jesus himself, the very Son of God, was persecuted unto death. But as Jesus was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. And we long for the day in which Jesus returns to make all things right and which we will receive our heavenly rewards. Jesus' return and God's final judgment is both an encouragement of hope and also a reminder to continue to strive towards holiness. We do not strive to obey to earn earn our salvation, but obeying God's laws and being a peacemaker is evidence that He has saved us, that He has given us a new heart. Peter reminds us this and gives us this exhortation in 2 Peter 3.13. He says, But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We await that. That is the, that is the reward. And then 3.14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So Peter points us to the reward and says, Therefore, remembering this reward, let us be found without spot or blemish and be at peace when he comes. Seek peace with God today. For one day, your life here on earth will come to an end. And we will all stand before the perfect creator and judge. And you will stand before him either a friend or an enemy. Are you at peace with God? Or are you still in rebellion? He has offered the way of peace through his son's death, taking the punishment that you deserved. No matter your sins, no matter how much violence or lack of peace you have may caused, you can be forgiven. Seek peace today by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus as your God, Savior, and King. And strive to live by His kingdom laws, becoming a peacemaker with everyone each and every day. Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.